Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, We are excited to celebrate Good Friday, like we said. Uh, Just uh, of note, if you did not pick up a little communion wafer with you, or cup wafer, there's those little prepackaged dealies. Um, We will have those available to you. Um, You can if you want to. Uh, The lovely Jana Metzger will be uh, bringing those around. So if you just want to put your hand up, if you didn't get one, um, she can can give one to you. We're going to celebrate communion, not right now, uh, but we're going to do that uh, at the end of service today and kind of close with that. Um, so, So just so that we're all prepared for that. So tonight, uh, on this Good Friday, uh, we're actually going to switch things up a little bit. We've been in this sermon series called Behold the Man, uh, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at the truth of Jesus Christ through the eyes of those who beheld him, of those who, who walked with him, who saw him, those who put him on trial, those who mocked him. Uh, but the eyes of the different people who interacted with Jesus on his way to the cross. And so tonight, we're actually going to flip this. We're we're not going to look at, now, this is is kind of a a sermon crime, because there are so many good people that we could behold Jesus through who beheld him on the cross. But we're not going to do that tonight. Tonight, we're going to look at Good Friday, the event of Good Friday, and we're going to look at it through the eyes of Jesus. There is a great deal which we can learn about Christianity and about our walk with Jesus as disciples of Jesus Christ if we lean in and we see what Jesus actually teaches us about Good Friday. And so we're going to start by reading John's account. We've been in the Gospel of John And this is John's account of what happened on Good Friday. Last week, we ended with Jesus being uh, convicted by Pilate. And so we're picking up there in John 19, starting in verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to John 19, 17. And we're going to go all the way to verse 42. It says this, They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. 
Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. I love that about Jesus. This is just an aside, but I love that. While Jesus is hanging on the cross, even while he's hanging on the cross, his thoughts are with others. He's not sitting there thinking, oh man, I mean, come on, y'all, like, I got railroad spikes in my wrists and in my feet. I'm not thinking about my mom. Sorry, mom. I'm thinking, woe is me, right? Dang, this hurts, but not Jesus. Jesus is thinking about others. He's thinking about his mother. He's thinking about John. He's thinking about his family. Incredible. Continue verse 27. Then he said to, his to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. And after reading it, it is really difficult to imagine calling this a Good Friday, right? I've even heard it taught before that we can call it a Good Friday because it was such an awful Friday for Jesus, right? He took all the bad stuff so that we don't have to. And that's true. That's, that's not incorrect. But in doing so, it's one of those teachings that I think when we, when we teach that way, we, we inadvertently lose a little something that Christianity actually teaches us. We miss something. And in this little lesson, it is so pivotal. It's such a pivotal lesson. In this lesson is the secret to walking with Jesus through absolutely everything, through every aspect of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
So, this is what we're going to look at. Good Friday, through the eyes of Jesus. We're going to ask the question, was Good Friday good? Was it good for Jesus? Then we're going to look at Jesus' aiming point, his target, his goal of Good Friday. And then we're going to reevaluate our aiming points based on his. So first, Good Friday wasn't good, right? Yes, Good Friday is good for us. Nobody is going to argue with that. But was Good Friday good for Jesus? We just read in John's account, this, the account of Jesus' crucifixion, and adding everything else that happened to Jesus up to the cross, everything that happened before he was nailed to the cross, you've got to admit, makes for a cosmically bad day, right? Our family last night, we just watched uh, Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There's a, they made a movie out of the book. Y'all, Alexander's got nothing on Jesus, Right? You look at all of these things that happened to Jesus, and there's no question. That's a bad day. There's no calling that good. And, and honestly, I don't even think we scratched the surface to how bad this truly was, to how awful this event really was. How many of you remember, uh, it was, ends up 20 years ago now, I think, but Mel Gibson came out with that movie, The Passion of the Christ. You guys remember that? caused a stir. I mean, there were people who got mad about it, like really mad, you know? This, this, like, this, this stuff is so graphic. Like, how dare you put this graphic stuff on the television screen, and, you know, it's supposed to be a Christian film, right? Y'all, you got to take the blinders off. Part of the problem is we read these Bible stories, and we become numb to them to what's actually going on. I, I personally love that film because that film takes what we just hear about and it puts it in front of our eyes so that we can see what's actually going on. You know, I love, our, our kids really like the version Kids Bible app. It's a little thing. It's got like the cartoons and they act out all the Bible stories. They love it, but y'all, I, I still have yet to see a kid's cartoon version of Jesus with blood, Right? Somehow Jesus magically goes up on the cross and there's no blood. But that's not what it was like. And so we watch this movie, The Passion of the Christ, and it turns your stomach, doesn't it? And to be honest, when I watched it, the most disturbing part to me wasn't the cross. It was, it was everything before that, when these Roman soldiers are whipping Jesus and all that stuff. I won't go into detail because I don't want anybody to pass out on me tonight. But, but it's disturbing. It's shocking. Because we read the story and we don't connect the dots. Jesus really went through this. And can I push it even further and say, even that movie doesn't tell the story. Because if you were there in person, if you smelled the smells, if you heard the screams and the cries, not from Jesus, but from everybody else who was there, there is no way that this event could be considered good. And then on top of all of that, you add the spiritual element to it. Because there's this really incredible thing, I've taught on this before, so some of you have heard this before, but there's this incredible thing that happens in this entire account, and, and it blow, we blow, blow right past it every single time. But there's this amazing 
messianic prophecy that we get in Isaiah 53. It's, you read Isaiah 53, and there's no question. You could read it to, to somebody who knows nothing about the New Testament, who, who doesn't believe in God at all. You read it to them, and they cannot deny that that is a description of Jesus Christ on the cross, written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And that's, that's what we see. But there's this incredible verse in Isaiah 53, 7. It says this. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So if we're to believe this prophecy, and everything else in this prophecy is spot on, Isaiah doesn't miss a, a single beat of it. If we believe this, this means that through the entire crucifixion, Jesus did not open his mouth. He was silent. There is one point when Jesus opens his mouth. We see it in Mark's account in Mark 15. It says, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus doesn't cry out during all of the beatings. He doesn't cry out during the humiliation, carrying the cross, being nailed to the cross. He doesn't open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter until God turns his face away from him. Jesus was so intimately familiar with God's presence. God's presence was on him from the day he was born. And the minute that presence is turned away from Jesus, it's almost more than he can bear. That was the pain of the cross. The entirety of God's wrath. Ladies and gentlemen, God had an entire eternity of wrath set aside for me, right? If I had died in my sins without a Savior, there was an entire eternity of wrath planned for me. That entire eternity of wrath was laid out on Jesus at that moment. Can you imagine that? An entire eternity of the wrath of, for, for all of us poured out on Jesus in that moment, on his shoulders. Not good by any means, right? And yet, there's a glimmer of hope. Because more than any other event in human history, the cross of Jesus Christ stands as a testament to the promise that Paul gives us in Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So while the events of Good Friday were not good, not good by any means, God worked these events together for good for the ultimate good. And see, we learn an important lesson here, a vital lesson in the Christian walk. Good is not defined for Christians by
by your immediate circumstances. Now, see, we know this when it comes to a bunch of other stuff, right? If I want to get in shape, working out's not good, y'all. If you like working out, you are a twisted individual and you need help. I'm just kidding. But ladies and gentlemen, the majority of people who go on diets, the majority of people who work out, they do so for another result, right? You don't just pick up heavy weights and throw them down because I like picking up heavy weights and throwing them down. There's a purpose to it, right, Tyler? Right? There's a purpose. Now, look, you may do it long enough and you start to enjoy the process, but honestly, guys, most people, even people who love running, if you talk to them, they don't love running just because it's running. Most people love it because it's a stress release, right? It's not about the immediate circumstance. It's about getting something in the end. It's about, well, I can eat all the cheeseburgers I want if I run 50 miles a day. That's a really nice perk. I'll take it, right? So we know this for these things, but we forget it so quickly when it comes to our spiritual walk, when it comes to our walk with Jesus. Momentary trials hit, and all of a sudden it's, oh, God can't love me anymore. What's going on here? We wring our hands, right? Does God even love me? Is God even in control anymore? Because we forget this. It's not about the immediate results. It's not about the immediate circumstances. It's about what you're aiming for in the long run. And we see this with Jesus. His aiming point, his target, his goal. What was Jesus' aiming point? And we can see it so clearly in the Gospel of John. This is right after Judas leaves to go get the Roman cohort to capture Jesus. Jesus is one of his most lengthy teachings that he gives his disciples. John 15, 14, 15, 16, 17. All of it, he's teaching. And in John 17, he gives us this incredible snippet. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. And it's Jesus' prayer for his disciples his petition to God for his disciples. And in that, in verse 24, we see that Jesus asks for this. This is Jesus' aiming point during the cross. He says, Father, and he's speaking of his disciples, present and future, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Right before this, Jesus actually prays for his disciples. He prays for his immediate disciples, and then he prays for anybody who comes to know him through his disciples' testimony. Ladies and gentlemen, let that humble you tonight. Let that affirm you tonight to the skies. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, he prayed for you the night that he was walking to be betrayed. The same night that the Bible tells us he was so stressed, so distressed, he sweat drops of blood. That's the kind of stress that Jesus was under. And he still stopped and prayed for you. Isn't that humbling? But isn't it affirming? That's how much your God loves you. That he stopped in the midst of this chaos and prayed for you. And this is what he prayed. He asks his father this, God, I want them to be with me forever. I don't ever want to be separated from them again. This was Jesus' aiming point 
This was his goal, to be with you for eternity. We see it again in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, which we're going to talk about again uh, on Sunday for Easter. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When you run a race, what are you doing? There's a finish line, right? And where is that finish line? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You were the joy set before Jesus. And because of this joy, because Jesus' aiming point wasn't to get through Good Friday unscathed, because you were his aiming point, Good Friday was good for Jesus. Throw out the teaching that it was bad for Jesus, so it's good for us. Not true. It's not true. Because you were the joy set before him. And that joy made the cross worth it. Now look, did Jesus want to get up on that cross? No. He prayed in the garden, God, if there's any way other than this to get this done, can we please do it? But the answer was no. And he said, this aiming point is worth it, so this is worth it. I will go through this because I want to be with them for eternity. Because this was Jesus' goal, because you were his goal, he was glad to give himself completely to make that happen. Because this was his goal, there was nothing in this world that could rob him of that joy. Did you catch that? Because Jesus' goal was not of this world, there was nothing in this world that could rob him of that. This is the problem we get into, y'all. Modern Christianity, cultural Christianity, is so poorly equipped. I read a study once a while ago, but it said that our culture today is the worst in all of human history at dealing with suffering. We just don't know how to do it. But it's because of stuff like this. We are so, and guys, Christianity's bought into this. Cultural Christianity has, has fed into this. And so we get these teachings, you know, the, the prosperity gospel, but it's also beyond that. It's not just saying, hey, if you give, God's going to give back to you right here, right now, right? Double down. It's just like Vegas. It's not just that. It's any type of Christianity that doesn't teach you have a cross to carry. It's any type of Christianity that says, that, that takes the cross and sin and payment for sin away. When we don't preach the whole gospel, we lose out on this aiming point. You know, we've convinced ourselves in Christian circles that if we talk about sin, if we talk about debts to be paid, if we talk about crosses, well, people aren't going to want to come listen to that kind of stuff. But we rob ourselves because the fact of the matter is hope is so much deeper when that hope has to go through a cross. Joy 
is so much deeper when that joy goes through the cross. Love is so much deeper when that love has to go through a cross. If you don't believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, how in the world do you believe that you have a God who loves you? Because if somebody asks me, how much do you know your God loves you? I can point to the cross. But the same goes for us. When I refuse to pick up my cross and carry it for Jesus, it provides shallow hope. When I believe that if I give enough money to Jesus, he's going to give it back to me, double down, press down, shaken, you know, like all that prosperity gospel verses we love, right? But when I believe that, it's shallow. And when I am shaken, and ladies and gentlemen, if you've lived enough life, you know this, life will shake you. You will be shaken. It's not a question of if, but when. And when it shakes you, if you have a shallow faith, you have to pick a better aiming point. If you are shaken by the things of this world, it means that your aiming point is of the things of this world. So, which aiming point will you choose? Jesus actually gives us the perfect aiming point. And he does so on the night that he is betrayed. We're using this from Luke's account. This comes from Luke 22. But it says this, When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Do you see it? Ladies and gentlemen, do you see your aiming point? Jesus tells his disciples, then and now, this is your aiming point you will have another opportunity to drink this cup with me. We will eat together again. All through the Bible, we're told of this marriage supper of the Lamb, right? A feast that happens when God closes this chapter and starts the next chapter. Jesus will come and he will call his church, us, his bride, and we will all be invited to this marriage supper. Church, that is your aiming point. That is your goal. That is your target. If you aim at that, I promise you'll hit it every time. And there is nothing in this world that will ever rob you of it. This marriage supper of the Lamb is your goal. And Christian, you can have no other. The degree to which you make this your aiming point is the degree to which you will serve your God. I promise you that. If your goal is to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but also be really successful while you're here on this earth and have people speak really well of you when you die, you're only going to go halfway here. Because at some point... Pursuing God is going to get in the way of people talking well about you before you die, 
or when you die. Pursuing God is going to come in the way of worldly success. It always does. Because Jesus, guys, this isn't because of the world. This is because Jesus. He loves you too much to let you pick bad aiming points. And so he draws the line in the sand. And he says, you can run after the things of this world, or you can run after me. And if you make him your aiming point, you will follow him. You will run after him. You will give everything for him every day of your life. I read a beautiful illustration of this this week. I had a proud dad moment. Jubilee, my lovely daughter running our cameras tonight, uh, she actually invited all of her YouVersion Bible app friends, which is a, a very wide gamut of people. She invited them all to do this Easter Bible reading plan with her. And so we, we accepted and we did this Easter Bible reading plan with her. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun, but the, the author of that, he, he drew this comparison one of the days in this Bible plan, and I had never even thought of this before, but he talks about in John 12, Mary Magdalene, it's a, it's a familiar story, but Mary Magdalene breaks this jar of perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet, anointing Jesus for his burial, right? And, and so we, we hear this story, but then he drew this comparison to Jesus here in this story, taking communion with his disciples. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, this is my body, broken for you. Jesus breaks his body and pours out his blood on us, anointing us. Yes, with power. There's power in the blood of Jesus. Yes, for healing. There's healing in the blood of Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ breaks his body and pours out his blood over you, anointing you for your burial, inviting you to be buried with him, to bury the old man, and to be raised to new life. The point of the breaking, and this is what was so well put in this, in this study, the point of the breaking is that there's no going back. Mary didn't pour a little bit of perfume on Jesus' feet, right? She didn't give him 99% of the perfume. She broke the jar. There's no going back from that. It's all his. It's all on him. Jesus broke his body. He gave it all for us. There's no turning back from that, right? Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have access to 50% of the blood. You have access to all of it. But we have to do the same thing. When we break ourselves for Jesus, we go all in. In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ bids a man, well, I'm sorry, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the call of Jesus Christ. It's not very seeker-friendly. Sorry, get a new Jesus. Because the real Jesus, that's the call. As we take communion tonight, if you have your cups, you can get that ready. The Holy Spirit is inviting you to be broken with the body of Jesus. To break yourself open like Mary did with the perfume jar. 
this is a heavy communion when we take this. It should be. Because it is a constant reminder that there is no turning back. Your aiming point is heaven. Back to that quote by John Owen, the Puritan minister that I love so much. My goal is God himself. At any cost, dear Lord, by any road. As we break bread with Jesus tonight, make that your prayer. The Holy Spirit is inviting you to make that your prayer. No turning back. No turning back. As we come to the Lord's table, we're going to let Jesus lead us in communion tonight with the words that he gives us in the Gospel of Luke. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, the bread that represents the body of Christ. get my juice open. We'll get there. Don't worry. If not, you all can drink your juice and I'll just watch you. Okay, there we go. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Church, the juice which represents the blood of Jesus. Amen. Happy Good Friday, y'all. Jesus Christ gave his life. He suffered all of this. Can you imagine it? Jesus walked through all of this, and he called it good because he won you, and he never has to lose you again. That is is the God that we serve. That is your Savior. Go and tell somebody about him. And invite them to Easter, right? Yes. Easter service here Sunday morning at 9.30 if you can join us. We would love to have you. Uh, if not, have a happy Easter. We hope you all have a happy Easter. Go celebrate our risen Savior and tell somebody how good your God is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Good Friday. We thank you for the cross, God. Thank you for paying a debt that we could never repay. And Jesus, thank you for calling it good. I pray tonight, Lord God, that you would reorient us. God, show us the areas. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and show us the areas that we have put our aiming points too low, that we fixed our aiming points to goals of this world, and help us to focus everything on you to make you our sole aiming point, Jesus. We love you, Father. We thank you. Be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a good night, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. 
We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.